I want you to open your Bibles this morning. And by the way, I want everybody to start bringing their Bible to church. Now, I know we got the scriptures on the screen. And some of you are looking at it on your cell phone. And I don't see where it said in the Old Testament, bring your cell phone to study the Word of God. Listen, let's start being, if nothing else, let's let people know who we belong to. Let's start bringing our Bibles, will you? All right, now I'm going to ask you, how many got your Bibles today? Well, praise God, I'm talking to the wrong group. That is wonderful. Boy, I remember the years at Cottage Hill, you'd hear the pages turning. Anytime we'd say go, man, it just like a, it was a, it was a testimony of a love for the Word of God. Uh, I've never preached a sermon, I don't believe, on this passage. I, I've referred to it, and it is a very, very, very significant story. It's a very significant part of the life of Jesus. But I, I, I just, you know, I couldn't get myself to, to get where I, I, I felt comfortable about what I would say about it and so forth. So um, I was listening to a, a, a preacher, and he said a few things about this passage that impressed me. And I said, well, you know, I can do it a lot better than he can. So I, uh, I began to study this. And it's when Jesus turned the water into wine. Now, the first thing, if, if this is the first thing that comes into your mind, you're going to tell me something about yourself spiritually. You say, Brother Fred, how strong was the wine? Was it real wine? I tell you what, it wasn't like the Mogan David in the thing over there at Publix. It wasn't like that 2020. You, you, you take two, an ounce of that and you think you're in 2020. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was it probably to, to get the equivalent of a half a glass of wine that comes out of one of these bottles. You'd have to have uh, two gallons to get the same effect. And you wouldn't get to drink the two gallons. You'd have to go to the restroom all the time. Just know that. But uh, so it's not about the water, the, the strength of the wine. It's not about that at all. It's about what Jesus did and what the message that God gave us about that. And so uh, I just want us to read the 12 verses. And I want you to look at the different things that happened. All right. Let's begin reading in John chapter 2. And let's look at the first verse. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Very interesting. Evidently, Jesus was a part of the everyday life of the community. In fact, you know, he, 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 he's the son of God, perfect deity, 100% God. He's the son of man, perfect humanity, 100% man. But he lived on this earth as a man. He laid aside his deity, took upon complete humanity, sinless humanity, and lived on this earth as a man, full of the Holy Spirit. Every miracle he performed, everything he did, he did as a man, full of the Holy Spirit of God. He is the last Adam. What Adam could have been had he not sinned. Jesus is everything God created and more Adam to be. So, but he was involved in everyday life. Hey, by the way, look down at verse 12. And it shows me, a, a, I saw this about Jesus, and it startled me. After he had performed the miracle, it's just like, he says, well, we'll just, just go on with our life. And after he went, and after this, when he turned the water into wine, he went down to Capernaum. Now look who went with him. His mother, his brothers, Mary went with him. You know, I thought Mary was incarnate or something. I thought she, some people say she's God. 
It looks to me like he was, she was his mother. Special in the sight of God, without question. No other woman like her. But, I mean, she, here she is just walking along with Jesus, going down to Capernaum. And by the way, Jesus had two brothers. So, obviously, Jesus was not the only child that Mary had. And so this, I, I, I blessed, uh, the, the Bible says that Mary was blessed among women, greater than any other. But I'm going to tell you something, she is not God. You don't pray to her. You do not pray to her. You pray to Jesus. You pray in Jesus' name to the Father. I hope that does not offend you, but if it does, it's the truth. And we're just going to go on. Now, so let's go back up to the... Uh, in verse 2, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now it will startle you what Jesus said to his mother. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? So you're concerned, Mama, about that they don't have any wine. But why are you telling me? Why are you coming to me about it? I, I'm not the head of this feast. I, I didn't plan it. I didn't. And it's just like he's startled, but he's really not. Because he wanted his mother to understand something. She knew in her heart who he was. Oh, yes, she did. She remembered what the angel told her. She remembered what the angel told Joseph. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but Jesus said, Woman, why have you, what is your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus said, Look, I'm headed toward an hour, and that hour has not yet come, and I'm not going to run ahead of my father, and I'm not going to go behind my father. But when my hour comes, I would have accomplished everything God wanted me to accomplish. And, of course, he was talking about his betrayal, trial before Pilate, dying on the cross, mocked and made fun of, rising from the dead, coming back to this earth to send his disciples out. He knew what his hour was. But his mother also knew Hey, I think he's here for a reason. So listen to what she said. Jesus said, well, Mother, what, what does this have to do with me? I mean, my hour hadn't come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Would you underline that verse? Next time you're having a dispute with Jesus, just remember this. Whatever he says to you, do it. Isn't that good advice? Isn't that biblical, you know? Whatever he says to you, do it. And that's what she told the servants. Well, look at it. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. And that, that was their wa this hands-washing thing. You had to wash your hands and dry them a certain way and all, all kind of stuff. It's ceremonial law. So they had, uh, uh, there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Six water pots that would hold at least 20 gallons of water. Do you know how heavy water is? I go in the store and buy that uh, distilled water in that gallon. And my arm's about to fall off before I get to the car. Water's heavy. Have you ever noticed that? It's heavy. Well, here we got six water pots, and there's going to be at least 20 gallons in each one of these water pots. Okay? So there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, contained 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some 
out now and take it to the master of the feast. And, and okay, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from, uh, but the servants knew who, who, who had drawn the water. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have, been, have well drunk, then they, they are inferior. Now, don't, don't think that means that when they're drunk, all drunk, he brings out the bad wine. That's not what it's saying. No. Jesus is not going to ever turn any water into wine where a person could get intoxicated on. You know, I got to thinking about that. Well, how strong was the wine, Brother Fred? I guarantee you, the Son of God created it. And it never, it's, he hates drunkenness. Drunkenness is listed along with other sins that drunkards will not be in heaven. So I know that this, uh, he would have never, ever, ever made wine strong enough for a person to be intoxicated. What if one of them drank too much and went out on their donkey and got a DUI for riding on the donkey? <laughs> He'd never do that. But it was a miracle. It was the best tasting so much better tasting than the other. And so it goes on and says, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, but when the guests have well drunk, then the, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, in the gospel of John, there are 10 signs that Jesus performed, worked as a miracle to, mag to manifest his glory. There are 10 of them. This is the first one. 10 miracles. John calls them signs that Jesus did to manifest, to manifest his glory. So look what it says. This beginning of signs... Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Oh, the purpose of turning that water into wine was for his glory. For the purpose of the manifestation of his glory. So they would know who he is. Now look at this. And the disciples believed in him. They begin to understand, hey, this is not just a man. He is a power of God like no other. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, and he, he, his mother and brothers and disciples, and did not stay there many days. Well, there are a number of things I want to show you in this passage that I think apply to you. I really do. And to me in an everyday life. I don't think I'm stretching it to say it. You know. The first thing I want you to notice was. Jesus was invited to the wedding. Do you realize that Jesus goes where he's invited? And so he went. And that says something to us. We need to invite Jesus into every situation and circumstance of our life. He was invited. What if he hadn't been there? But you know, he went because he was invited. The second thing I, I know, y'all want you to notice, that an unexpected problem happened during this time. Jesus was just going to the wedding and going to bless the couple and have fellowship with his friends and neighbors. But uh, then his mother came and said, son, we got a problem. There's no, they ran out of wine. So this was an unexpected problem. Now, it was so good that Jesus was there. It was so good that he was invited so that he could do something about the unexpected problem. 
In a moment, we're going to talk about the interruptions in your life and the problems in your life and how Jesus needs to be invited into every area of your life so that when the problem comes, he's already there. And he's already at your beckoning call as you live a surrendered life to him. So something unexpected came up at the wedding. And uh, uh, it was so good that Jesus was there. You know, um, be thinking about unexpected things. You're going along, it's just another day. And then all of a sudden you have an interruption. And uh, I want you to start thinking about how that happens so many times. The unexpected arises in us. And the key is how do we respond when the unexpected comes into our life? That's the greatest testimony of our faith. All right? And so... uh, 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 Jesus' mother came to him about the problem. Said, son, we don't have any. Uh, the wine's run out. And Jesus said, you know, um, you just, I, I'm not, he didn't tell his mother he was going to do it or wasn't going to do it. He didn't say a word to her about what he was going to do. But she knew in her heart. So she said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, then I want you to do it. Boy, that is a great, great verse. And I'm going to speak to you in a moment about whatever occurs unexpectedly in your life. You don't run out of wine, but maybe you run out of joy and peace. Or maybe you run into temptation and heartache. But you need to understand that... uh, Jesus, if you invite him into your situation, his mother is going to say, or the word of God is going to say, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And then, of course, it gives a process of how he turned the water into wine. And uh, and, and it's interesting, but we, we, you can read that. And he just told them to go get the water pots. Man, they had at least... A, uh, 120 gallons of water and they were all turned into wine and somebody said well what what creative power did Jesus use to turn the water into wine and I was talking to one of my preacher friends Uh, we were talking about this passage and he usually doesn't have anything good to say he's he's slow he's slow his name is Jerry Vines but some of y'all know him and I, and I told him, he said, well, he, he, he's not preaching today. But he said, what are you going to preach? And I told him, he said, you know how, why the water, how it was turned into wine? He said, Jesus came up to those water pots. And his, his glory was so great that the water blushed <laughs> and turned into wine. I said, well, praise God, you finally said something worth listening to. Man, he, his, he just walked up to it. And the glory of Jesus just touched that water and it, and it changed just like that. Well, so we see that the, all that's going on and we see there are two things that the Lord just shared with me that, uh, and, I, and I really just said, okay, Um, Lord, I know we all have unexpected problems in our life. I know they catch us by surprise. But what do you want want me to deal with? I I think I'm perfectly in the scripture when I'm saying the fact fact that Jesus was invited and even though it was an unexpected interruption, that he was there for a purpose and it was planned by the Father and that's why 
He performed the miracle. And by the way, it manifested his glory. And the disciples believed on him. Well, I think what God is saying to us, that all of us are going to have interruptions in our life. God had one son without sin. He has no sons or daughters without suffering. The Bible says that glory in your trials because God uses them to perfect your faith. But you see, when it's, it's unexpected, man, you, you're just kind of like a Jesus' mother. You say, you go to Jesus and say, Lord, this is what's happened. Let, let me ask you about this. When you have an unexpected problem, do you invite Jesus into it? That's what the Lord just kept saying to me. You may invite your friends. Let me tell you what I'm going through. You may invite a counselor, and that's good if they're a Christian. Let me tell you what I'm going through. But I tell you what you need to do. Whatever your problem is, you need to be sure Jesus is there. You need to be sure that he's invited. He really is. Because I'm going to tell you something. You've got things in your life. You've got mountains in your life that if you try to resolve them yourself, you'll be 89 years old before you ever get in, get in progress in them. I mean, listen, there's some mountains. You're not going to be able to move them. You're not going to be able to move them. You know, there's some valleys. But, but sometimes it seems like you never get through that valley. And, and, and oftentimes we get discouraged. But what we ought to do is this. Say, this didn't catch God by surprise. What happened didn't catch Jesus by surprise. But he was invited. And so therefore being invited, he got involved with the situation. I got to thinking, what, what a, some things we need to invite Jesus into. And of course the most important one is about being saved, but I'm going to save that to the last. You know, I think, what, what, what do most people have in their life? And I didn't even know what I was going to do. I just sat there and waited on the Lord. I said, you, you gonna have to, I'm not going to plan it. I'm not going to figure it out. Uh, you, you tell me what, a lot of, what, what people need to invite in, Jesus into their life about. And you know, the first one that he brought up to me, what was that? You need to invite Jesus into all of your relationships. That is so very important. Two things. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Life is built on relationships. I'm telling you it's on relationships. And what I hope is that you have relationships with many, many, many people in this church. And you've gotten to know them and they know you and they pray for you and you pray for them. It's all about you building relationships. You know, and you do that when you get into a life group. Many of y'all have never built a relationship with David. It's not because you didn't want to, but because, hey, you're here, we're gone. But sometimes you have to make an effort to build a relationship. I, I, I don't have a problem with most of you building a relationship because I've been your pastor for 40 years. If I don't know you by now, I never will know you. That's a problem I know too much about you. But no, no. But many, many of you, it's been years that we've walked through things together. Oh, we have walked through heaven and we've walked close to heaven and we've walked next door to hell. But let me ask you this. How's your marriage doing? That's the most important relationship outside of your salvation. How's your marriage going? You know, people get all, you know, they just, just fall in love and, and, and it looks like the phone's going to grow to their ear because talk to them all the time. Now they got the cell phone. I hope they don't put it up to their head. But anyway, and then they get married. And you know what? After a couple of years, sometimes it's not that long, a marriage begins to suffer from neglect. Not necessarily that you're verbally abusing your wife. If you are, you need to stop. 
That is a sin against a holy God. You don't put her down. You don't do that. Maybe it's that you just don't show any respect for your husband. What he says and what he wants to do, you just toss it off like a hat in the wind. But, but I want to ask you something. Uh, is, has any, un, any unexpected things happened in your marriage that you didn't know about? After you said, I do. I love that saying. You said, I do. Find out what you were doing for the rest of your life. But I want to ask you about that. I was talking to a person recently. And there had been a change in their marriage. And it was good. It was good. And, uh, and, and, and I said, well, tell me about the key. And this is what she said. It wasn't in a counseling session, just in a passing. She said, um, for years, I told my husband, I'd say, I I think we need to do this. And I think we need to do that. We got some financial pressure here. We we can do this, or we can do that. But he never paid me a bit of attention. He never did one thing I asked him to do. He'd just nod his head. But then he woke up and realized that it was important to her, then it was important to him. Do you just slough off what's important to your husband or to your wife? I mean, do you do that? Or do you really care? Care enough to listen and care enough to act. (laughs) I'm going through a thing with Ann, and she, she does well considering all things, especially that she lives with me. But anyway... Uh, she's got our hearts set. We got we got this nice little table. It's a, it's a nice little table, but for some reason, where she gets her hair done, and by the way, is she able to go get her hair done? Listen, if I had to take her on a stretcher, she'd get her hair done. <laughs> you can put that in your book. You need to know that. And don't you women act like oh that wouldn't be? Oh yes, it would be you too. She's got this heart set on this table. And I said, well, I'll just give you so much a, a, a week or month, uh, yeah, so much a week, and you'll soon have enough to pay for it. <laughs> she keeps trying to get me to raise what I give her every week. And she's just hassling me about it. <laughs> she really is. But uh, I am listening, and I did increase it a little bit. And she's a lot closer to that table than she was. Now, see, that wasn't important to me. I like the table we got. But wait a minute. It was important enough to her to keep talking to me about it. And I said, you know, this is important to her. And whether I feel like it's significant or not, I want want to ask you now. Would you say your marriage is growing in maturity, in love, in spirituality where you share the things of Christ together? Are you just abiding time? Just coasting. Coasting. You don't coast in a marriage. You either get better or you get worse. Boy, I had a guy call me that really troubled me, and I want you to pray for him. You don't know him, but I do. Uh, he lives in another town. Told, told me about he was getting some divorce papers for his wife. And I listened to him. He said, now, I I, I want you to pray for me about it. Pray for me about it. Of course, I told him some things that basically were true. I'm not going to go into that. But I was listening, and he said, you know, she won't move where we need to move to, and I've got ministry there. And if she won't move, and, you know, there's this lady that's come along beside me that is willing to move with me. And it's like a bell went off in me. That's your problem. You've been talking to the wrong person. You need to be talking to your wife. And if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're already saying, well, she would really go with me in this ministry and she would really be wonderful, you're already deceived. You're already deceived. I hadn't called him back yet because it's going to blow him out of the water because, you know, he, he really thinks it's, God's going to let him do it. God's not going to let him do it. He can disobey God if he wants to. 
but he will, and he'll have Ichabod written over him. But I just, I just think the Lord said to me, people need to invite Jesus into their marriage. And I don't know how your marriage is, but it can be better. It can be better. It's a matter of dying to yourself, letting Jesus be Lord, and you die to yourself. Just die to yourself. And then if both people die to themselves, two dead people do not have any problem. They do not. They're able to work it out. So let me encourage you to invite Jesus into that struggle in your marriage. But also, I want to talk to you about your friends. You say, well, Brother Fred, we're an older church, and, you know, we, we don't have, we don't have a, a gang that we run around with, you know, uh, well, some of you do. I know y'all, y'all go eat every week. I know, I know you've got about 15 in your group. And I know all about what you, where you go and what you do. Somebody tells me. But anyway, did you know the Bible says, before I leave marriage, in Ephesians 5, 33, it says, uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, listen to this, respect your husband. You say, well, buddy, the, preacher, the husband needs to love his wife like Christ loves the church. But the Bible says you need to respect him. Well, he's not respectable. Maybe not in your eyes, but if he's just doing right, respect him. I don't know. I'm just saying that, uh, that that's a verse you need to consider. But let me ask you about who do you hang around? You know, over in, um, uh, by the way, about your marriage, I want you to remember John 2, 5. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. When he speaks to you about that thing in your marriage, I want to ask you to live in John 2, 5. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. I've tried. Try again. I don't have the heart for it. Ask God to give you the heart for it. But what about your friends? Well, that passage over in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34, I want you to look at it. Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Who you hang with and run with and fellowship with Evil companions will corrupt good, good habits. I want to ask you, your, your friends, are, are they built on a spiritual relationship? Do you all enjoy just talking about Jesus? Do you enjoy talking about what God has done in your life? To enjoy confessing, hey, what Christ is doing. Is, 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 is your relationship with your friends does it have a spiritual foundation? When y'all get together, all you do, you talk about the world, talk about the world. Uh, did you see that colored uh, dress that uh, that lady had on? That was so pretty. And did you, uh, uh, <laughs> I got to, I got to, I, <laughs> I don't know why I'm going to tell this, but I got to. It's funny, but it's true. That, that My friend, Lynn Turner, was going to, uh, it was kind of a special care like Summerby where our, our best friend Ron Long was and he was dying. He was dying. And so Lynn was up there almost every day. Well, there were a lot of single women in that, <laughs> in that uh, facility and they saw Lynn walking around and this woman said to the other, well, have you seen that new person that moved into the, our place? He's got silver hair. He looks like a silver fox. Oh, boy, was I going to have fun with that. And, and the, other, the other lady said, no, I hadn't seen him. Well, then she saw him, and she said, boy, he, he does look like a silver fox. She said, I saw him first. <laughs> boy, have I given Lynn trouble on that. I said, the silver fox is being chased by two women in the nursing home. That was not a good relationship of friends. Not at all. 
You know what my burden is for young people? Teenagers, even in their 20s and 25, that they surround themselves. If they are Christians, if you're a Christian, I mean, I'm talking about a Christian. You're a new creation in Christ. Then you need people around you that are interested in spiritual things. Spiritual things. And if y'all don't ever talk about Jesus, never talk about what God's doing in your life, and, and, and say we're praying for one another, then, then you, 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 something's not right in that relationship. You, you, you need to let it become a, fa- a foundation of a spiritual relationship. Your friends are very, very, very important. My prayer for my granddaughter who has been delivered and is walking with the Lord is God keep her from getting anybody into her life that is not loving Jesus. And you, you need to be selective who your friends are. Now, we got to be friends of sinners to tell them about Jesus, and I believe in that. I have some friends that are lost, but when I get a chance, we talk about other things, but I do try, always try to swing it back, even though they're really not interested in spiritual things. I'm just hoping they'll get saved. But you need to be careful uh, who your friends are. And, and, and by the way, in the church, can I tell you something? If there's a brother or a sister that's not walking with God, and they, they know they're not walking with God, then the Bible says you don't need to hang around them. You know, this is kind of shocking. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 11, But now I have written to you and to... Not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a... It's it's hard to read that from here. Extortioner. Uh, And don't 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 even eat with them, is what he says. Don't even... I'm going to leave this because I've got some other things. I'm going to tell you right now. You need to check out who your friends are. You need to check out what's important to your, friend, with your friends. Are you building relationships on a spiritual foundation that will help you through the storms of life? You need to invite Jesus into your marriage. And you need to invite Jesus into all the relationships you have with people. With the lost people... The Bible says that we can go and we can witness to them. We could even eat with them. It, 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 but, but, but it says if it's a believer, we're showing our approval of what they're doing when we do that. So I'm just saying to you, you invite Jesus into your relationships because they're either going to drag you, push you up, or they're going to drag you down. That's exactly what they're going to do. All right, then there's another area that we need to invite Jesus into. And that is, uh, we need to invite Jesus into our conversations. I had one more than that, but I'm going to skip that because I want to spend a few minutes on this one. Uh, Do you invite Jesus into your conversations? Did you know, um, somebody asked me, what is the fear of God? The best definition I ever heard is, Every one of our words, thoughts, actions, and deeds are seen by the all-seeing living God and will be judged by him. So, God knows what I'm saying in the conversation. You know, I'm telling you, the Bible says if anyone offend not with his tongue, he is a mature man. You know, I, I know the Bible's true because it says the tongue no man can tame. No man, no man. You can be thinking you're spiritual and you'll be amazed what comes out of your mouth. So I tell you, you, you better invite Jesus into your conversation and say, Lord, let the words of my mouth, this is a good prayer, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, what I'm thinking about, be acceptable in your sight 
O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I tell you, my mouth has got me in more trouble than anything else in this world. I'm telling you. But you see what bothers me about it. What comes out of your mouth comes out of your heart. Have you invited Jesus into your conversations? Oh, he was inviting to the wedding. But I tell you, it is the words you say are powerful. Let me give you a couple of verses. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. It says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. No corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What you say to people ought to impart grace to them. Then the next one I want you to look at is, is uh, John, no, James 1.19. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear and slow to what? Speak. And slow to wrath. So I'm, I'm supposed to be slow, uh, swift to hear and slow to speak. But that, I have a problem with that because my mind is already thinking ahead. You know what I mean? And I have a problem interrupting people. And that's wrong. That's wrong. If you're ever talking to me and I interrupt you, would you please correct me? I'm serious. You, you, your mind gets running ahead and, and you finish the conversation for them. There's another verse. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you beat people down? Or do you lift them up? Do you speak words of hope and encouragement? Or do you speak words of uh, distortion and depression or, or, or that, that hurt? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Then I love Proverbs 10, 19. It says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. <laughs> the more you talk, the more chance you got of sinning. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah, I've known some people who talk the bark off a tree. Of course, none of you are that person. Don't misunderstand me. But you know, he said, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his tongue is wise. He who restrains his lips is wise. Well, you need to invite Jesus into all your relationships. He needs to come to the wedding. You need to send him an invitation to be, be in, involved in your marriage and send him an invitation to be involved with your friends. And then you need to send him an invitation to get involved with the way you talk and who you talk about and how you do it. You need to give him an invitation. And I, he'll take you up on it. He will take you up on that. But you know, the greatest invitation that you've got to do, and you can't do any of the others until you do this, the greatest invitation is the one that Jesus gave to us. Whosoever will, let him come and let him drink of the water of life freely. Jesus invited us to come to him. But some of you need to invite Jesus to come to you and be your savior. I was talking uh, with my wife the other day and uh, I said, uh, the, the, hor the horrendous wickedness that I hear of, it is so, is so violent, it is so wicked, it is so beyond comprehension that a person could get wicked enough to do something like that. And, 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 and you don't really want to listen to it because it is, it, it's just appalling. It is appalling, appalling. But I've got to tell you something. If, if, if you are not born again, if you're not a new creation in Christ, if you have not gone from darkness to light, 
If you have not gone from death to life, if you cannot say I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now, if you can't say that, I didn't ask you if you are religious. You can be religious and have no relationship, zero relationship. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and no one else as far as salvation is concerned. Let me tell you about the devil. And, I, and, I, and I, this has just been on my mind. Do you understand here's a lost man or a lost woman or a lost teenager or a lost young person? And you know what the devil's goal is in their life? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. If I wake up in the morning, and I trust I will, I need to realize today I have an arch enemy of my soul. He hates me because he hates Jesus. And you know what he wants to do in my life? The same thing he wants to do in your life, and especially if you're lost. He wants to steal your life from you. He wants to kill anything of value and good in you and even kill you if he can. Steal, kill. Boy, and he came to destroy. My God, I see lives that are being destroyed. They're being destroyed. They're being destroyed. And they say, why can't I? Why am I living this way? Why am I living this way? What's wrong with me? I'll tell you why you're living that way. You've got a sinful nature, and you need to be forgiven, and you need to be saved. You're not ever going to change. You cannot change yourself. No more than a leopard could change its spots. You cannot. And I'm just saying to you that we must have Jesus if we're going to keep the devil from killing Stealing and destroying. Now I want to tell you another thing. And you know this, but I'm going to tell you it's true. If there's any question in your mind, am I religious or do I have a relationship with Christ? Am I trusting in a decision back there, but there has been no fruit in my life? I'm not, I mean, I do some good things, but I, I I still practice sin. Now, I want you to listen to me, and I'm watching this in people's lives, and it's disturbing me. It's breaking my heart. I'm watching the devil kill, steal, and destroy. Then I'm watching this that happens to people. Sin will take you further than you intended to go. Sin will keep you longer than you intended to stay, and sin will cost you more than you intended to pay. And you wake up one life, and you are a slave of sin. A slave. My God. And you say, i got to break these chains. Somehow these chains have got to be broken. But let me tell you one thing. Please listen to me. The only person that can break the chains of sin, and the only person that can give you the power to overcome the devil, is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Don't trust in religion. Don't trust in what, what, what you've done in the past. You just have to be able to say, if I died right now, I would stand before God, and I am 100% sure I am born of the Spirit of God, and I'm ready to meet him. And, 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 you, and you know what, how you can say that? If there's fruit in your life. If there's fruit. You do love Jesus. You do talk to him. You do worship him. He's part of your life. He's not something you check. You see every morning, every Sunday at nine thirty. He's your life. He's your life. And you haven't been born again unless, unless, hey, you don't tack Jesus onto your life. Ed said it well. If if, if you have an encounter with the living God, you're not ever going to be the same. I want to ask you: Have you invited Jesus into your lostness? Have you invited in Him into your life? To break the chains of the devil that's got you bound? Have you invited Jesus into your life? Not only to break the chains, but stop the progression of sin that's carrying you down the road. Only Jesus 
can do it. Only Jesus can save you, set you free, and make you whole. But you've got to invite him. In other words, you're lost. You know it. You're out of control. Jesus said he knew that. But also, you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. God put your sin on Jesus and made his righteousness available to you. But you've got to repent. And you know what repent is? I'll turn away from those sins under the conviction of God and by the power of his spirit. I will turn away from my sin. I will, I will love Jesus and not my sin. I will love God. You've you, you, you got to realize that sin's going to try to kill you and destroy you. Don't do you. It's like you're sleeping with a snake every night under the cover, just waiting to get bit. And so I encourage you to be sure that Christ is your Savior and Lord and that you are born again. And if, you, if you're not sure, I plead with you to repent. That means say, God, break me over my sin and then give me the grace to repent. Repent. Give me the grace to repent. And then you just start going in a different direction. And the sins you've repented of, you no longer practice. Will it mean, Brother Fred, I'll never be tempted? No. But I'll tell you one thing. When you get Jesus in your life and he's invited to the wedding, I guarantee you when he's there, man, he'll turn the water into wine. He'll give you joy and peace and everything you need. But you've got to have him. And, and I'm not talking about just as your Savior. You've got to have him as your Lord. Brother Fred, you say that almost every Sunday. I think I need to. I can't assume everybody in here is saved. I pray you are. If you're not, I'll, I'll do anything in this world I can to help you get there. But the main thing, you've got to invite Jesus into your lostness and, and do what he says. Whatever he tells you to do, John 2, 5, do it.